Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Recently, uh, the topic of uh, starlight and, and time um, uh, came up in some conversations. And it's interesting that you know a number of uh, Christians have looked at all sorts of um, theories to explain the issue of if God created the world and the universe only 6,000 years ago, how can we see stars that are billions of light years away and even millions of light years away? Because essentially what they're saying, what we know is that the universe is so large that the light from these stars that we're seeing would take millions in some of them billions of years to get here, travelling at the speed of light. And I thought it's really interesting to have a look at this. I've, I've talked about it before. Um, one of the important issues that people, that many people don't realise is that it's um, quite within the laws of physics for light to travel instantaneously. Now... Sometimes, uh, you know, I think people can say, oh, no, hang on. You're not talking about some other theory like a flat earth theory or this sort of thing. Okay, so with flat earth theory, we know we can, you know, just fly in an aeroplane. You can look out the window and you can see the curvature of the earth and you can see that it curves in, you know, whether you're flying north, south, east, west, it's got curvature and we can send satellites up and take pictures and so forth. So we know quite clearly... The, the flat earth theory is, is ridiculous and it just doesn't even make scientific sense. But instantaneous time, tra- uh, instantaneous light travel does make sense in terms of physics and some leading physicists have pointed this out and how important this could be. And that's what I'd like to talk about uh, and discuss a little bit deeper today. But one of the things that I thought... For it'd be good to do first off is, is just refresh what the Bible actually says about this. Now, if we go to the book of Genesis in the in the Bible, the first book of the Bible, we read there the very first verse of the Bible is, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And this establishes the God that we worship, the God who is our saviour, the God who loves us. He's the God who created everything. And... If this God is so powerful that he can create everything, he can, and he wants a relationship with us, which the Bible goes on to explain, and God who manifested himself as, as Jesus and came and lived among us to show us what he was like, clearly explained that God is a God of love. And we, we know as we, we look around us and we look at our environment, there's so much beauty and, and so forth. Now, a lot of documentaries and particularly evolutionary-type documentaries can focus on this survival of the fittest as- aspect and, and pain and suffering and, and these things. But, of course, the Bible explains that too, that that wasn't the original plan. There's, this is a result of sin, of disobedience. And also it's logical when we explain, when we look into it, that, that generally we have laws to protect us and make things safe for everybody. And we know the consequences of disobeying those laws usually results in someone getting hurt and pain. And it was the same back then in, in Eden. God set up a perfect system, but when people go outside the system, and of course Satan, some of the angels went outside the system 
began telling lies and we have all the, the consequences that, that follow from that. But if we look then at what the, the Bible goes on to say, we see in the beginning of Genesis here that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on to to set up what uh, happened. And we read that on uh, in the beginning the earth was without form and void and there was darkness and and then the... Um, the Spirit of God began moving over the face of the waters and we begin to have creation unfolding before us because God said, let there be light, and there was light. We then go on as we go down through the, the different days where um, the space or firmament was made on the on the second day and then the, the land services and earth and our planet was formed with the oceans and the land services on day three and the vegetation appeared on day three and then on day four we read and God said let there be lights in the firmament of heavens of the heavens to separate the day from the night let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth and it was so and God made the two great lights the great light to rule the day the lesser light to rule the night he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and so forth. And so we also then go on and read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And so this was after the sixth day and verse 2 goes on to say, and on the seventh day God rested. So it seems quite clear that the Bible is saying very clearly that the, the stars, the sun, the moon, were all set up on day four. The space, time, system was set up on day four. Now, there are other passages that uh, relate to, to this as well. If we have a look... Um, for example, in Psalm 33, we read in verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all their hosts by the breath of his mouth. And essentially what that's telling us is that God spoke the stars into existence, spoke everything into existence. In other words, you know, and I sort of imagine this God thought about it and said, let it be. And that's exactly what I said. You know, let there be light, let there be the stars. And... What was in his his mind? You know, I mean, we have to use earthly terms to describe God. I mean, he's he's totally outside our physical construct. He's outside our universe. He is self-existent. Um, he always was. He's outside time and space. But obviously, his thoughts can materialize. And I've talked about this before. How our thoughts, which are non-material can affect electrical voltages and we can make things. So our, our thoughts can do that. So God's thoughts surely can, can make things, cause things to appear, create systems that make things, create energy, create matter. And that's exactly what it says. So we have a miraculous creation of the universe. Now that fits a lot of data, as I've talked about in the past. We have all this evidence that the universe is young. We have this evidence that the solar system is young. Now, Isaiah goes on 
And um, Isaiah talks about the the same sort of thing, and um, he records his experience with God. And thus says the Lord, God speaking to Isaiah, I made the earth and created man upon it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. That's Isaiah 45 verse 12. And so quite through the Bible, we see that the heavens were created by a miraculous um, uh, process. It wasn't some sort of um, Big Bang type uh, scenario where, you know, laws of physics created things. God just spoke things into existence. Now, this makes a lot of sense, right, because... We know, that, well, at the present time, there's no known laws of physics that can explain how the universe could form itself, how the, you know, the gases that might, hydrogen and helium that might be created by, you know, f- fusion energy reactions somehow can then solidify and um, generate the higher elements and, and so forth or be come together as de- at sufficient density to form planets and stars. There's, you know, there's no known way. And secondly, a lot of these systems are, are interdependent. You know, the stars, uh, you know, planets and moons and so forth. There's balancing systems there that are parts of their orbit and so forth. There's, there's so much balancing that, um, you know, that, that takes place. So in other words, you need to create a, a complete system, really, for it to work. Otherwise, it's going to fall to bits while you're create, trying to have it form. And these are one of the reasons why there are no workable theories that fit the data that can explain the origin of our solar system or our universe. Sure, textbooks talk about these things. But when we examine the details, there's major problems. They, the, the mechanisms that they propose can't explain the phenomena that we observe. There's another very interesting verse that I think is quite important, and uh, particularly for Christians. And this is in Hebrews chapter 11, and it's verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 11. And it says, by faith we understand that the world was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things which do not appear. And this, again, is a very interesting statement, is that by faith we understand this. And it's by faith that we are saved. It's by faith that we please God. And that, that's how Abraham pleased God. Now, is it blind faith? Is it blind faith to believe that if the stars were created on day four, only about six thousand years ago, thereabouts, that and that we can see them? No. And this is the important point. When they, as I mentioned earlier, when they began measuring the speed of light and so forth, these problems uh, arose. Well, how can we see stars that are so far away? You know, they must be much older. And, of course, the, you know, the atheist type that wanted a, a scientist that wanted to, um, you know, disprove the Bible, they, you know, really were jumping on this bandwagon. And there was a whole field of, of thought in this area. But one of the uh, areas of the, uh, uh, relates to this is that 
How can we measure something related to time? And this gets into quite a deep uh, discussion. And I mentioned that, you know, Einstein assumed, for example, that the speed of light was the same in all directions. But if you were an observer and you're measuring something going past its speed relative to you changes and the speed that you're travelling at can affect the speed that you determine the object is travelling at as well. So there's really a whole lot of, of complications there. But as I said, Einstein, looking at uh, the problem of uh, measuring signals and so forth, simply assumed that the speed of light was the same in all directions, but it doesn't have to be. And this is the whole concept of simultaneity. I, I mentioned some of the work that was done earlier on by Hans Reichenbach. Now, again, Hans, uh, he was a, uh, a German uh, philosopher of science. Um, he was educated at the University of Berlin, the University of Gottenden, the University of Munich, the University of Erlden, where he earned his PhD in 1916. And his PhD was on the concept of probability for the mathematical representation of reality. Now, he was really a brilliant philosopher, Reichenbach. We don't read much of his stuff in English because it was he wrote in German. But he was certainly a leading philosopher of science and a proponent of logical empiricism. And um, he uh, did a lot of work in the theory of probability and uh, in the area of philosophy and mathematics and particularly in space, time and, and relativity theory and quantum mechanics. And so here we have a, a, a very, very serious, deep thinker here. And he challenged Einstein's assumption that the speed of light was uniform in all directions. And he modified and adapted Einstein's equations accordingly to allow for that possibility, depending on what value of a particular constant that you one chooses. And as I said, Einstein happened to choose a value of 0.5 uh, or a half, but it actually in simplicity would make much better sense for the constant to be one. And if it is one, it eliminates it. You don't need that constant there. And secondly, what that means then is that light coming towards the observer is instantaneous. But the time to measure how long that time takes, that signal, travels at half the speed of light. Yeah, very interesting. By the way, Reichenbach uh, moved to the United States in 1938 and he took up a professorship at the University of California, Los Angeles, in its philosophy department. And it was Reichenbach who helped establish UCLA as a leading school of philosophy in the United States just after the war. So we're talking about a person here who's no fringe philosopher. He was a brilliant philosopher. Uh, as I said, set up the philosophy department and, and took raised the standard of that at the University of California, LA campus, Los Angeles campus. Now, the stuff that he wrote is, is very heavy um, and uh, you can look up his works there. But perhaps one of the best uh, ways to look at it is to read the works of Max Jammer. 
Now, Max Gemma uh, analyzes and breaks down Reichenbach's uh, work in this area. And Max Jammer was a, another physicist. So, so Jammer studied physics, philosophy and history of science at the University of Vienna um, and then at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem where he received his PhD in experimental physics in 1942. And um, he served um, in the British Army during the war and then in 1952 moved to Harvard University and um, worked uh, and became quite a close colleague of uh, Einstein, Albert Einstein, who was at Princeton University. And um, so here we have Max Jammer. He taught at Harvard, University of Oklahoma, Boston University, um, before uh, establishing the department and becoming professor of physics at the Bar Ilan University in Israel, which is one of the leading universities in Israel. And, of course, he's been a visiting professor at a whole lot of universities, including Columbia University. Now, Max Jammer writes in this area, and, one of the, book, and the book that he deals with this whole issue that um, you can have instantaneous light uh, travel, doesn't violate the laws of physics, is a book called Concepts of Simultaneity from Antiquity to Einstein and Beyond. It was published by John Hopkins University Press. So I'll just uh, say that title again. So the name is Max Jammer, J-A-M-M-E-R, and it's Concepts of Simultaneity from Antiquity to Einstein and Beyond, published by John Hopkins University Press. Now, Max Jammer has written some other really interesting uh, stuff related to this um, on um, space and and time, um, a lot of very interesting areas that relate to we have to our understanding of physics and and how science works, and the whole thing is that when we look at this big picture, um, we find that the Bible's description of how things happen and and that God spoke the universe into existence in a very short time. Just it happened like that. Just fits so well. And secondly, as I said, you know, previously, if God created the uh, created the stars and we were created specially, created this universe special for us. We're very special in this universe because God personally came here to save us. Then it doesn't make sense to create all these stars that we wouldn't see. <laughs> You know, we, we wouldn't we wouldn't have seen them. We wouldn't start of seeing the year uh, for years. So this, um, you know, creates a, a you know it, it supplies the answer to a very interesting problem. But I think people that have doubts on this that this is reasonable. It's you know have a look at the actual writings on these by these great philosophers and physicists like Max Jammer and Hans Reichenbach. Uh, for those who prefer a more modern, more recent treatment of it, there's a book called The Physics of Einstein. Um, it was published by a, a biblical science institute, so a small publishing company, but it's by a physicist by the name of Jason Lyle, L-I-S-L-E is his name. Jason Lyle, L-I-S-L-E. And it's called The Physics of Einstein. 
Um, and so that, again, explains all this uh, concept how if we have um, an anisotropic um, system, then we have instantaneous light travel. Um, and he goes on to explain, he talks about the work done uh, back in the 1970s by John A. Winnie, um, who was another uh, philosopher at the time at uh, the University of Hawaii, John A. Winnie. He published a, a very interesting article on uh, and pointed out that special relativity depends on the round-trip speed, not the one-way speed of light. So in other words, all our calculations depend on this there and back speed of light. And, you know, one of the interesting, you know, uh, things that he points uh, out is that um, to assume that the one-way speed of light is the, the same is, you know, a, an assumption that can't be proven and in actual fact has some problems. Uh, for those who are interested in... Uh, reading that up to, as I said, the author is uh, John A. Winnie, W-I-N-N-I-E, spelt just as in Winnie the Pooh, I guess. Um, it was published in the Philosophy of Science, um, the Journal of Philosophy of Science in 1970. Uh, it's volume 37, uh, issue one, pages 81 to 99. So here we have some really good science here, and it fits our faith. We we are not way out as Christians to believe that on day four we could see all the stars and yet all the stars were created at that time. And I think this is, this is very important to realise and understand that. And the other thing, as I mentioned before too, as we've uh, talked about this previously, is that the one-way speed of light can't be measured. We can't measure that. We can only measure the average speed of light. And so this, and as, um, um, you know, it's pointed out, special relativity, all these other theories use the average speed of light, not the one-way speed of light, which is what is important for us to be able to see the stars. Just a couple of days ago, I received a, an email from a medical professor friend who announced he'd just retired and he was uh, spoke to me about um, he, f he finds the evidence for design in nature so compelling that there is a designer, that there is a creator. And I thought it was interesting because <laughs> I'd recently just read... Um, in um, a news release by the BBC in England, British Broadcasting uh, uh, Commission, this was released on the 5th of September 2019, and the headline reads, Scientists want creationism teaching ban in Welsh schools. In other words, these scientists want to ban creationism teaching in Welsh schools. And the headline was that Sir David Attenborough has intervened and called for a ban on teaching pseudoscience in schools. So here we see that we have people like you know David, Sir David Attenborough, and he's produced some marvellous and amazing documentaries and is highly respected, but calling belief in creation a pseudoscience. Now, I've just been talking about this concept of... Um, instantaneous light travel and I dare say you know some people would put that into 
uh, pseudoscience. And yet when we look at the, the physicists that uh, are looking at this and exploring this and they're, what they're pointing out is, hang on, you know, Einstein wasn't right in everything. Einstein made assumptions and all some of his assumptions aren't necessarily correct and they're not necessarily based on good data or good observations. And uh, But it's really interesting too that these people are really concerned about teaching creationism. What the article went on to say was the teaching of creationism could creep into schools under Wales' new curriculum, scientists have said, and a letter signed by 46 individuals and organisations, including Sir David Attenborough, asked the Welsh Government to explicitly ban the teaching of creationism as science. And I, I personally think that that should ring alarm bells. Why would you want to ban that when at the present time there's no known explanation for how evolutionary mechanism can produce new code, can produce a new body part? There's no known explanation for how the universe could form or how even our solar system could form, and yet they want to ban the teaching of creation. And I think one of the reasons is that these... These scientists and some of the other scientists include Richard Dawkins, uh, another person, Steve Jones, and um, I think he might be a chemist, Steve Jones, and Alice Roberts warned that changes could increase in the new curriculum could increase the possibility of teaching creationism of science. And they um, go on to point out the new science and technology area of learning, this in Wales doesn't, explicitly prohibit presenting creationism and other pseudo-scientific theories as evidence-based. And evolution is only mentioned once, the letter said. It's interesting that these scientists are, are so concerned. They don't want creationism taught, and yet we have this overwhelming evidence and growing evidence that the universe and the earth and life on earth must have been created. There's no mechanical way that it could form. You know, as I read this, I thought about the Aberfan mine disaster that occurred in Mars, and that was when this big slag heap from a mine suddenly slid down a mountain, I think it was after heavy rain, and just buried this school, and a whole lot of school children were dying. And I met a died, and that was a, a, a horrendous tragedy, taking these young lives. But, you know, I did some research some years ago on this, and it was interesting... The people in that village were mostly Christians. They were quite strong believers. And it's interesting, the number of children that said to their parents, came home and said to their parents at different times just before, don't worry, Mummy, I'm going to be all right. I will be with Jesus. And it's almost as if these children had premonitions that something was going to, to happen and that they would be taken, but they had such strong faith that they were right with God. And that's very interesting because how could they have that premonition? How could they know? Why did they say those things? We have so much evidence that there is a real intervening God. Bad things happen in our world, like that, that tragedy. But without God, there's no hope for anyone. Those parents have hope that one day, the second coming of Jesus they're going to see their children again. Evolution doesn't offer that hope. Remember, you can catch up on this program by Googling um, 3ABN Australia, or one word, 3ABN Australia, .org.au.
And when the page opens up, click on the Listen, and then a number of different programs will come up, including Faith and Science. And you can go back and, and get details, perhaps, of any of the books that I've read. You've been listening uh, to Faith and Science. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.